HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Thursday, 4 o'clock. It's Greenhorns Radio, brought to you by Severn Bontarno Fleming. I'm the director of the Greenhorns, and I'm a young farmer in upstate New York, having a conversation with a farmer up in Northern California. I'm joined today on the phone by Mike Bosworth, who's a rice farmer. Mike, are you there? Yeah, I am. How are you? I'm great. Sorry, I couldn't hear you for a while, but it's nice to have you there. Okay. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could introduce yourself and your ranch. Yeah, my name's Michael Bosworth, and I'm a fifth-generation farmer here in Northern California. And uh, my family and I operate uh, the Rue and Forsman Ranch, uh, just about 30 miles north of Sacramento, where we produce uh, organic rice, uh, conventional rice, beef cattle, and walnuts. And tell me, tell me why, tell me why you're growing rice. What's what's going on in the land there that allows you to grow rice? Yeah, just north of Sacramento and south of Red Bluff, California, there's an area where the soils are are uh, very heavy clay soils, which means that they will hold water really well. It also means they're not really adapted to uh, farm many other crops. So rice is a pretty hardy plant that requires flooded uh, conditions here in California, and uh, these these types of soils make it a, a great area for rice in California. Tell me about um, tell me about what what happens in the wintertime. You're talking about the flooding. I, I suppose that happens in the wintertime. And, and can you describe like the ecology of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back you know about twenty well fifteen or twenty years ago, and before then, a lot of the rice straw uh, after harvest was burned. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of a downside to burning rice straw. So about 20 years ago, people started uh, flooding their rice fields to help decompose all of the uh, organic matter left after harvest. And so it became a, a symbiotic relationship between rice farmers being able to decompose the, the waste left in the field and also providing... Uh, excellent habitat for migratory waterfowl in the Pacific Flyway. So currently, what, what kind uh, of birds are those? What's that? What kind of birds? Uh, there's all sorts of ducks and geese uh, that that migrate up and down uh, California and and overwinter here in the rice fields. Uh, there's approximately uh, 
50% of all the migratory waterfowl in the Pacific Flyway uh, get uh, their food from, from rice fields here in Northern California. So it's an integral part of sustaining over 7 million wintering waterfowl in the Sacramento Valley. Wow. In addition to, so we're not to talking about a little tiny, um, the winter little tiny the summertime, of land. I mean, you're, you're farming how many habitat. acres and, and what kind of machinery? Say again? How many acres are you farming and, and what kind of machinery are you using? Uh, we're farming a, approximately 300 acres of organic rice, and uh, we use some heavy tractors to cultivate the land in the springtime. In fact, we're just finishing plants of our organic rice. Uh, today and tomorrow, and uh, we'll soon be flooding those fields in preparation for sowing the rice seeds. So we use a couple of different heavy tractors in the springtime and then uh, also some mechanical combines to harvest the grain in probably around November for this organic rice. And where did you learn how to use those machines? (laughs) Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, the machinery has gotten more and more powerful over the years, and, and it's just been something that, you know, the family's adapted to and, and uh, really embraced the new technology over the years. And, uh, you know, I've been driving a tractor since I was about 10 years old and just kind of progressively grow with, with the technology and the equipment. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really fortunate to have the powerful machines that, that we can use uh, today. But you didn't have to go to learn, or you didn't, like, take a course. <laughs> I, I actually did at, at UC Davis. They they taught a tractor diving class, and I was lucky enough to, to help teach that class the whole time I was in school. So uh, it was a great opportunity to, to teach, you know, folks that may have grown up in the city to operate machinery, you know, both big and small tractors, and kind of see what it's like out on the farm. And, and uh, a lot of those folks, you know, study vineyards or things like that, and they'd actually get to put that into practice once they and got so out like, of the So let's describe this market. process. So right now you're planting, and it's early June, and you're just finishing planting, and then it's going to grow, and it's going to dry out, and then you harvest it. And then once it's harvested off of your field, um, can you describe exactly what happens to the to the husks and then to the whole rice? What, what Where does it go? Sure, yeah. As soon as we harvest the rice, we try and harvest it at you know, anywhere between 18 and 22% moisture in the grain, and that's going to ensure us the optimal quality once we start to dry the, dry the rice. So the drier you get it out in the field, the more chance you're going to have that the grain's going to crack and you'll have fewer whole grains, you know, per pound than you would if you if you'd harvested it at a, at a correct moisture. So once we harvest it, we'll take it to a rice dryer where we'll slowly dry it down to 13% moisture, and that allows us to store the grain for several months before we will mill the, mill the rice. Uh, quite often, we'll have to mill it as soon as we dry it because, you know, we'll be out and, and our need rice, so we'll mill it soon after we dry it. And to mill it, we'll take it over uh, to a mill about 50 miles away, and they'll peel the outer husk off, which is called the hull. And at that point, you have brown rice. We do sell quite a bit of brown rice. And that, at that point, the, the product is finished. It's ready to eat as brown rice. If you want white rice, it'll further go through another process where it scratches the outer layer of bran off of the kernel, 
and it becomes a polished white rice at that point. So we sell both brown and white rice, and they both come from the same plant in the same field. Oh. And, and what are you losing, or, or how much how much are how much are you scratching off when you when you scratch the brown off of the white? Uh, it's it's uh, uh oh, it's just probably a couple of percentage points of weight. So you know, if you mill a hundred pounds of rice, you won't end up with a whole lot of bran. Um, but you know that a lot of folks see the. You know, you're losing the oils and the fats and the protein uh, in the rice, or it's diminished a bit when you remove the bran from the brown rice. That's why a lot of folks just like the brown rice. And can you sell the bran? My mother used to make rice bran on top of um, on top of her muesli when when I was little. Do you sell that rice bran? We don't because we mill such a small quantity. It's difficult to. Uh, you know, end up with enough rice bran to make it marketable, and make it worthwhile to segregate it. So we don't, but the rice mill that that processes our rice for us, they would definitely sell it. And, um, you know, most of the time it goes like to animal feed, dairy industry, horse feed, things like that. All right. So now the rice is out of the factory and it's into your bags. And what happens next? Uh, next, we take all of our rice to a cold storage facility where it's stored at 40 degrees, and this does a couple of things. Number one, it keeps our rice really fresh. Uh, we, we take it out the day that we deliver it from cold storage to our customers, so you can't get much fresher rice than that. But the second thing that it does, since it's organic rice, we can't use any synthetic fumigants to ward off any insects, so we use... Uh, temperature to control the life cycle of insects. And at 40 degrees, they just can't reproduce. And so they're not a threat to our product at that point. And so, after so, people, that, so basically what you're talking about is the fact that in storage we, we facilities where there's a huge concentration of grains, um, there's often problems with mice and there's often problems with um, moths and bugs. Right, yeah, so we, we, just, we don't want to lose um, any of our products and we don't want any customers are, to have to worry about those any are contamination. Those are poisons, so. but you're not going to use those poisons. Is that, is that correct? What's that? Is that, is that, is that a correct um, representation that you are not using poisons, but you're, so instead you're using cold? Exactly, exactly. And so then, but unlike many rice, many rice um, producers who sell their rice off to Uncle Ben's or other um, sellers um, and aggregators of commodity of the commodity marketplace, you direct market your 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 rice. Yeah, that's correct. We we decided after ten years of growing organic rice and selling it off to food processors and other brokers, we decided that we wanted to get a little closer to our customers and build a direct relationship. So, in two thousand and six. We began direct marketing the rice, and uh, it was slow, slow road to hoe uh, there for about the first year. But you know, we've had a lot of buy-in from our customers, and they're they're really happy with the product. And so we deliver all the product ourselves, and have built some great relationships with uh, folks like over at UC Davis, where they use all our rice every day, and all the dormitories, and also over at Sacramento State University, and. Um, so we've we've had a, a great regional 
buy-in and, and what we're trying to do and a lot of great community support. That's cool. T- tell me, tell me or, and, and also explain to people who might be interested as young farmers to sell to institutions what the benefits and drawbacks are of, of the farm-to-institution connection. Yeah, the, the, the benefits far exceed the drawbacks. I, when you said that, I'd have a hard time thinking of a drawback. Um, you know, for us, our big deal is, you know, if we have a couple hundred acres of organic rice, it's going to take you quite a long time to sell it in two-pound increments to, you know, somebody on the Internet or, or you know, even at a grocery store. And so the, the key to institutional buyers is volume. And, you know, we're lucky enough to be able to move uh, almost a ton of rice a week to some of these institutions, and that's just a great way to get a lot of our product out there and, and uh, you know, provide them with a quality product and a, and a bulk package and um, seems to work out well. The, the, the difficult part of institutional buying is generally uh, there's a lot of paperwork. So we have, you know, very high liability insurance requirements and third-party food safety audits and you know, I, I think all of those things are good things for farmers to go through. Um, and since we're competing with everybody else in the market, everyone else does it, but those are some things that are, some farmers might not be accustomed to working with. So that can be a hurdle. But you're feeding the great future of California. You're by feeding the, these institutions with all these smart kids all grouped together. You really couldn't choose better eaters. Yeah, it's great. Uh, tell me, you know, what else is going uh, on on your farm? Today, well, like, we just like this big, week, or right uh, now you're planning, but what else is going on? Well, we've just sold some cattle off the market yesterday, and uh, so that's a busy time for us, and we're uh, irrigating the walnuts and, and uh, just trying to get all the rice planted and, and uh kind of take a break. We've been working pretty much every day since the 1st of March and uh, looking forward to getting all the rice planted so we can take a couple of days off and rest up. Yeah, so what does your days off hold? Or where are you going to go? Probably going to go camping or backpacking up in the mountains and go do some fly fishing, hopefully. That sounds fun. And and I bet you there's nice fly fishing if there's if there's habitat for birds. There must be habitat for fish. And Absolutely. You're part yeah. of the, um, we get our water out of the Yuba River, and uh, it's an excellent uh, trout stream, and it's only about a half an hour away. So very fortunate to have such great resources here in Northern California, and and uh, you know I'm glad that the rice growing community can be such great stewards of of those resources. Yeah, well, I eat a lot of rice, and I think of the birds every time. Tell me, tell me, beyond we're getting out of the field now, um, but, but you've been getting out of the field kind of a lot and, and have gotten involved in some of the institutions that support farmers and, and farming and help articulate some of these messages to the, to the larger um, food and, and eating world. Um, tell, me about, tell me about CAF. Tell me about um, the Community Alliance with Family Farmers. Yeah, I... Uh... Got on the board of uh, CAF about two years ago, and after meeting some folks at a uh, harvest festival, and you know, just really, really impressed by what the group is able to do for, you know, building that connection between eaters and farmers. Um, I think CAF does a wonderful job of of uh, 
educating consumers about, you know, what farmers are doing here in Northern California and North California, actually. Uh, they've, they've created a farm-to-institution uh, program and distribution company called Growers Collaborative, Collaborative which has uh, done a great deal to link uh, local growers with local institutions and even supermarkets in Northern California and Southern California. Uh, they've also uh, leaders in, in creating uh, sustainable uh, test programs, both in cotton and in almonds in Northern California. And uh, it's, it's a, uh, an organization made up of a very diverse group, but, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's concerned about where their food comes from and what the impacts are of that production here in, in California. And I think it's, it's been a, a, a great experience for me to, to really learn from uh, more urban uh, type of consumers and, and get out there and see what other folks think about us as growers. And what do they think about you? Or what are some of the misconceptions and, and um, sometimes what is, there, what is accurate about the way that they think? I mean, I have, a, I have a little bit of a thing about your machine. When I saw your machine the first time in the field, I was, I was, prepared, to be, um, I was prepared to have a standoff with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I, I think size is, is probably the biggest misconception that I hear. You know, because we're rice farmers, and, you know, rice is a grain crop. It just it takes more acres to make it work for, for a, a farming operation. So, you know, say we're three or 400 acres of organic rice and, and uh, you know, some other crops, then, you know, some people might call that like a commercial farm or a corporate farm or something like that, when, in fact, it's, you know, my mother, my father, and uh, cousins and sisters all working out here, and it's a, it's a true family-run operation. So I think, you know, misconception about the size of an operation and automatically uh, thinking that maybe it's a corporate or a factory farm is, is one thing that, you know, it's, it's difficult to explain, but, um, you know, I think having those conversations, you can kind of come together on things like that. Also, like you are saying yeah, with the machinery. Yeah, it definitely seems to be a very common thing if someone says, oh, you're farming, and you say, yeah, and then they say, well, how many acres? And it's always a bit of a, as soon as you start talking numbers, then people start making judgments. Yeah, Either, yeah, you know, if you're not big enough, then you're not a real farmer, and if you're too big, then you're, you're cor- corporate. It's almost like, yeah, what is the grandpa, perfect number? His response is, what would be your you know, perfect number, or how would you change your ranch operation that, 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 that way that you come to you from your dad and your granddad um, and your mom and grandmom, but what, where would you take it, and where are you going to take it in the future? Well, you know, I, I think it's always important to, you know, look look in the future and look at opportunities to diversify and also to direct market. I, you know, I think we're kind of on to something here with uh, organic rice, and, uh, you know, maybe there's other opportunities with other products to kind of build a more stable marketplace for our products and help, you know, secure a, a bright future for this farm for for our family and, you know, future generations. So that's that's kind of my goal is just to, is to help in any way I can to, to uh, preserve this land and make it a place where, uh, you know, the family can continue to make a, a good living out here. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the um, rice politics while I got you on the phone. 
Um, some of the things that, that I'm interested to know about is um, transgenic rice. What do you know about um, what genic rice? Yeah, genic rice is, is just uh, rice that's been manipulated using biotechnology to um, contribute, you know, beneficial attributes to the grain, whether it be drought tolerant or, you know, resistant to uh, uh, chemicals, you know, like Roundup Ready rice or something like that. And, and some of that technology is, has been developed. Um, as you might be aware, uh, back in 2007, I believe, there was a test plot down in the south, uh, southern U.S., where some of that rice had contaminated uh, some of the commercial uh, food supply of, of long-grain rice down in that area. And that's all been taken care of since then, but it's a very sensitive issue, as you're aware of, uh, in Europe and in Japan and Korea and Taiwan for, you know, major importers of our rice products. So uh, I, it's not a technology that's being pursued by anybody. Sorry, they're allergic, to, they're allergic to transgenic rice also, but I'm allergic to pollen. <laughs> to pollen? Yeah, we have everything is everything is in flower right now all at once. Just spring uh, okay. just hit really hard. So I've been <laughs> sneezing a lot. Yeah, so all these technologies have have been, you know, have been refined and are are ready to go, but since the US exports about half of what it grows uh rice-wise and a lot of our consumers are wary of that technology, nobody is is jumping to adopt it on a, a commercial level. So there's there's no genetically modified rice in, in the United States. Um, if it was different, if the consumer climate were different, would you be interested to plant it? Like, would you see a benefit? You know, it, it's real hard to tell. It, it, would, it would have to be, you know, a particular case. Uh, you know, I'm not interested at this time. Uh, you know, I just don't. I don't see the upside to it. There's just too much downside to producing that product currently. So, you know, I think we're happy with the varieties we have now and and uh, just kind of keep moving forward with that. The University of California continues to develop excellent varieties that are higher yielding and using, you know, basic genetics. So uh, that's kind of where we'd like to be. And tell me about where, where does rice come from? And and what is what is what is wild rice and basmati? Like I we need a little bit of a rice background, please. <laughs> well, I I can't tell you exactly where our our rice comes from. It's a japonica variety. Typically in California, we grow about eighty five percent medium grain rice, which is the rice you'll find in any sushi in the United States is all going to come from California, and most of that's grain. We also grow some short-grain specialty varieties that are similar to those found in Japan, uh, namely Koshiakari, Akitakamochi, uh, rices like that. And then there's a, a small bit of uh, long-grain rice grown here in California. So rice production in California started in 1912 and uh, went from really tall you know, rice plants to uh, the early 70s of the Green Revolution a lot Shorter rice plants and the yield went up substantially. So, currently, we're, we're mainly growing uh, medium grain and short grain rices. Uh, there are some specialty rices like basmati that have been adapted for California, 
but typically basmati is going to come from India and uh, some jasmine rices, but, you know, those are typically from Thailand and, and uh, more warmer climate, climates like that. So California rice is a shorter rice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, you know, when you think of sticky rice, that's generally medium grain or short grain, and, and that's about, you know, overwhelming. And what about, what about wild grow. rice? I know that comes from Minnesota, and I, um, I've been eating that kind. It's called manuman. Have you ever had that one? I haven't had that one, but there's actually uh, quite a bit of wild rice grown here in California. I'd, I'd estimate over 10,000 acres grown in California, and, and wild rice isn't technically a rice it's a part of a, a the grass family so it's a they just call it rice but it's uh i think the name is zinnia aquatica or something like that it's just a it's a grass an aquatic grass you know you can harvest the seed off of well there's a wonderful thing we're moving into the end of our show so i want to make sure that we put in some websites um there's a wonderful project out in uh, Minnesota called the White Earth um, Land Recovery Program, and it's run by Winona LaDuke, who is a, a woman very active in indigenous agriculture and um, indigenous rights, who um, grows wild rice. And I think it's a slow food um, arc, um, an arc product, but um, it's Newman is what it's called. So that's a kind okay. of a cool rice thing. And then I know that there's a um, center in... Northern California, there's a genetically engineered rice action group um, out of the Center for um, Arts and Ecology. Um, tell me, tell me some resources that you know about Mike about rice. Yeah, well, the, where can we learn the more USA rice as, as eaters has a lot and of also great as kind of on their website people who and, and who the, might want to be know, doing a tiny little bit of rice on their on their farm or get involved in rice in some. Yeah, our, our, we actually have a website for, for our farm, and it's called uh, Next Generation Foods is, a, is the name of my company. I, I do distribution for other farmers in the area also. And our, our website is nextgenfoods.com, N-E-X-T-G-E-N-F-O-O-D-S. And then the, the California Rice Commission is calrice.org, and, and they have tons of information about California rice and recipes and things like that also. Well, cool. It's so great of you to join us on the air. I'm really thankful. Um, and I think I think it's going to be a good harvest this year. What about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So far, our weather conditions have been great. And uh, just holding our holding, crossing our fingers that uh, the weather persists. And, and uh, we're looking forward to a good harvest also. So thank you very much. Thank you. And, and next year, we we'll hope you'll convert even more acres. Yeah, we we actually just converted uh, 26, and we're flooding it up right now. So we're we're working on it. Right on, thank you, Mike. All right, thank you, Severin. Bye. Bye. Well, this is this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll visit our blog www.thegreenhorns.wordpress.com. All the best. Talk to you soon.